Welcome to podcast number 43 for Thanks for Your Service and our last podcast for 2021. Our focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian military. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Thanks for Your Service and our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net. For today's podcast, we head to France, where we speak to Rebecca Doyle, the director of the Sir John Monash Centre. Rebecca, many thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. And first off, can you tell us who was Sir John Monash? Yes, sure. So our centre here is named after General Sir John Monash, and he was the commander who led the Australian Corps with outstanding success on the Western Front in 1918. So taking back, he was the Australian son of Prussian Jewish migrants. He was at Duxford Scotch College in Melbourne and he went on to complete an arts and engineering degree at Melbourne University. And it was here that he also joined the newly formed University Militia Company. And this really set the course that he would hold throughout his life, you know, balancing his joint passions for soldiering and for engineering. So on the outbreak of the war, he was appointed to command the 4th Infantry Brigade of the Australian Imperial Force, which he did throughout the Gallipoli campaign. In 1916, Monash was promoted to Major General and he was appointed to command of the 3rd Australian Division, taking it across to France, where the division first went into action at Mazine and then later the 3rd Battle of Ypres and Polygon Wood. In May of 1918, Monash was promoted to Lieutenant General and he was appointed to command the Australian troops, replacing the British General William Birdwood. Now, this is interesting because up until this time, British officers had always commanded the Australian troops. So this was in May 1918. And then on the 4th of July 1918, just a couple of months later, he led the Australian Corps to a, a victorious attack in the Battle of Le Hamal. Now, this was a meticulously planned attack with, attack with considerable attention to detail and really clever tactics that he deployed in the lead up where this is really where I think General Monash secured his reputation as an incredible tactician and leader. So for this attack in the, in the days prior, Monash ensured that each night the German lines were bombarded with gas and smoke shells to condition them to associating gas with smoke and thus to need each time to don their gas masks. So when the day of the attack came, only smoke shells would be fired and these served as a smoke screen for the advancing troops, but also as a trigger for the Germans to believe there was also gas coming. So they put on their gas masks and that, you know, that would have also had that additional benefit of impairing their vision, their breathing and, and their communication together. So this famous attack at Le Hamal was planned down to the detail in that all objectives would be taken in 90 minutes now the history books will tell us this, all these objectives were taken in 93 minutes. So John Monash believed that the most effective warfare involved many different types of weaponry and defences working together. And he was able to lend his innovation to lead this first combined ground, tank and air combat. Uh, his belief in the importance of combining all of the arms of battle in a coordinated way and, and his clear understanding of the tactics that had evolved throughout the war made him an effective general. In 1918, he's quoted as saying, a perfected modern battle plan is like nothing so much as a score for a musical composition where the various arms and units are the instruments and the tasks they perform are their respective musical phrases. Each individual unit must make its entry precisely at the proper moment and play its phrase in the general harmony. 
for his success in the famous factory victory, beg your pardon, at Le Hamal became a template for military operations that followed. And John Monash continued using his careful planning and, and clever strategizing, inspiring the success in his troops. On August the 8th in 1918, the five Australian divisions under his command formed the spearhead of a massive Allied offensive against the Germans at Amiens. Breaking through the German defences here really was the beginning to the end of the war. So it saw his, you know, his meticulous planning and his command in, in both offensive and defensive battles that saw him knighted in August of 1918, so just four days after the 8th of August advance. And he was uh, knighted on the battlefield by King George V. And it was the first time in 200 years that a British monarch had knighted a military commander on the battlefield. This was his, his experience during the war and following he continued his commitment to the war and his commitment to the welfare of the troops and he was involved in the repatriation of Australian personnel, overseeing the demobilisation of 160,000 men in eight months. So I think from this, you know, it really is the values and the leadership qualities that Sir John Monash embodied that saw him hailed as one of Australia's greatest military commanders. And his, his legacy continues certainly from a Melbourne perspective in terms of the Shrine of Remembrance. Yes, that's right. And his, his name's sort of synonymous with quite a few things in Melbourne, isn't it? Monash Freeway, Monash University, etc. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, the, the, the centre that you're the director of is not just about Sir John Monash. What is its purpose? That's correct. So its objectives are to enhance all visitors' understanding of Australia's role and sacrifice on the Western Front during the First World War. So the Sir John Monash Centre is not a museum in the traditional sense. It's an immersive experience. It is an interpretive centre that uses cutting-edge multimedia technology to tell the story of Australia's experience on the Western Front in the words of those who served. So its predominant feature is the use of these multimedia displays that portray the very difficult and personal experience of war for individuals, so the, the sounds, the sights and the emotions that it engenders. So to enable us to tell the stories of the soldiers, our historical researchers and development teams use letters and diaries of soldiers to create the content that we show at the centre. The, the centre itself also has an extensive collection of original film footage and is able to bring these stories to life by interweaving the words, the film footage and the images with dramatic recreations, taking the visitor on a journey and really sharing the emotion of the experiences of the soldiers. The centre also has an active educational program, so we have structured visits and lots of hands-on activities for school groups. So younger visitors can come along and discover the adventures of an Australian soldier, Private Valentine Rochefort, through hands-on activities with objects like a uniform that he would have been familiar with. And older students can come along and, and have the opportunity to analyse the objects and archives to identify an Australian soldier. And the centre's not that old. Can you tell us a little about the history of the centre? Yeah, so the concept for the centre was announced just in 2014 by the then Prime Minister, the Honourable Tony Abbott. And in 2015, the plans for the design were unveiled, detailing an interpretive centre to be built as a lasting international legacy of Australia's centenary of Anzac period of 2014 to 2018. So the focus was to create a powerful visitor experience that combined the technology and the digital aspects with commemoration and emotion 
um, complementing its surrounds and maintaining the historical integrity of the location in which it sits. But it's really designed to enhance a visitor's understanding, like I said, of Australia's role as a sacrifice on the Western Front battlefields and also as a reference point to visitors in the area, offering an introduction to the Australian Remembrance Trail. So following a construction period of just over two years, the centre was proudly opened on the eve of Anzac Day 2018 uh, by the then Prime Prime Ministers of Australia and France, the Honourable Malcolm Turnbull and Edouard Philippe. The interpretive approach is designed to be self-guiding, so it really gives visitors a personal, historical and emotional context um, and delivered in three languages via a mobile app in French, English and German. Where's the centre located and how do people get there? Sure. So the Sir John Monash Centre itself is near the village of Villa Bretonneau, which is just over 140 kilometres north of Paris. So what we, you know, we do like to talk about the location itself and it's quite significant. So it's built on the land where so many fought and fell. For those that are familiar with the region, they'll know the Australian National Memorial. So the Sir John Monash Centre is nestled in behind this memorial and this is a memorial to the missing with almost 11,000 names of Australian soldiers forever etched in stone with no known grave. The memorial was built at the Villa Bresseno Military Cemetery, which is the final resting place for over 2,100 soldiers of the Commonwealth. So the, the village of Villa Bresseno was the site of a highly successful battle involving Australian troops, which took place from the 24th to the 26th of April in 1918. The town being successfully recaptured at the end of the German spring offensive. So as you'll see by the date, that was three years to the day after the Anzac landing in Gallipoli. Um, Sir John Monash himself, actually, he was later to comment that Villa Bressonneau marked the crisis of the war. He said it gave the Allies breathing space, it enabled the Americans to arrive and it paved the way for the August offensive. Um, so to get to the Sir John Monash Centre by hiring a car, visitors can easily get here and, and also many other sites along the Australian Remembrance Trail and former battlefields in the region. So coming from Paris, it's a one-hour train ride from Gare du Nord to nearby Amiens. And then from Amiens, you can just take a direct train to Villa Bressonneau. From Villa Bressonneau to the centre, a trip in the taxi is a matter of minutes, but there's also a, a nice little signposted walking path that you can you can take. We also find many people visit the centre as part of a guided battlefield tour, so they can enjoy getting back on a bus and looking at the countryside as they, as they travel along. Now, you also mentioned the Australian Remembrance Trail. What is the trail? The Australian Remembrance Trail links the most significant sites along the 200-kilometre trail from Ypres in Belgium to Ballenglise in northern France. So it includes battlefields, cemeteries, memorials and museums, and these all share their own experiences of the First World War. So the trail itself builds on the really impressive efforts of the local French and Belgian communities to commemorate and remember Australian service. So I can give you some examples of places that can be visited along the Australian Remembrance Trail. So in uh, up in Belgium, there's a place called the Plug Street 1418 Experience where you can head along to and learn about the battle, the 1917 Battle of Mazine. You can visit the only all-Australian cemetery in Belgium, which is the Toronto Avenue Cemetery. You can hear the story of Australia's disastrous first battle in Fromelm with a museum that sits alongside the Pheasant Wood Military Cemetery where there are 250 soldiers that were reinterred after their remains were recovered in a mass grave just in 2009. 
Um, there's also many official Australian memorials along this trail, Cobbers, Digger, uh, Moke Farm, and the first through to the fifth division memorials. Visit Vinicor, 1418, and they've got a really impressive display of portraits that were taken at a farmhouse turned photo studio during the times the Australian soldiers were resting behind the lines, or we can head underground in Noor to discover the inscriptions that soldiers carved into the walls. So of the 295,000 Australians who served on the Western Front, over 46,000 died and more than 130,000 were wounded. So the Australian Remembrance Trail helps to remember and commemorate all these soldiers. Mm, th- th- those numbers are just astonishing. Now, you've just yeah. recently hosted some events for Remembrance Day. Tell us about the ex- that experience. And obviously, COVID, the COVID environment in, in Europe was uh, on the improve at that stage. But, um, yeah, tell us about Remembrance Day this year. Yeah, thanks. So we've been really pleased to be able to bring a series of events enabling individuals to tour the Sir John Monash as well as the cemetery and the Australian National Memorial and to come together in small groups to do some creative art workshops, which we did some centred on Flowers of Remembrance, or they were able to participate in some in-person or some online conferences. So the conferences are quite a new thing that we're doing and the conference that we held for Remembrance Week was chosen and it was looking at Australian soldiers who died after the armistice. So in the days, weeks and months following the guns falling silent on the Western Front, here we heard heard stories of soldiers who enlisted in 1915, serving in Gallipoli and throughout the duration of the campaign on the Western Front only to succumb to an illness such as the Spanish flu or be killed in a a motor accident or a drowning whilst in France, you know, and awaiting return to Australia on the military transport ship. So so this was our second online conference. We did our first just a few months prior and we were looking at Australian soldiers who served during the First World War and were also Olympians and we had this one scheduled to coincide with the Tokyo Olympic Games. So for us, this has been a method of outreach that's enabled us to stay connected with people in Australia who have not been able to visit and provided another medium for sharing these important stories of commemoration. Um, Other thing we did during Remembrance Week is we had some some small wooden crosses that uh, bore handwritten messages from Australian schoolchildren and these were provided for those who wished to place a token of remembrance at the headstone of a fallen soldier. So in many of the Commonwealth War Graves Commission cemeteries in this region, these small crosses were placed as a homage to the fallen. And in terms of people who visit the centre, is there a typical profile? Uh, you know, obviously, with COVID in the last sort of 18 months, two years, the, the number of visitors from Australia have been restricted, but uh, who, come, who comes and sees the centre? Yeah, look, certainly you're right. You know, COVID has significantly impacted the Australians being able to travel and we dearly miss seeing those. And that's, that's been the, the advantage of us being trying to try these different methods of outreach and really engaging with the Australians via digital means and, and via social media. But what we are seeing during this time is a bit of a shift, absolutely, in the demographics of people coming through. So we're really getting a lot of school groups coming in, lots of French children coming to learn about the history that has been in their location and for some they're not aware of the fact that there were French soldiers and there are Australian soldiers that are buried in their country so we've really been able to get lots of young school groups in which is lovely and and we're finding we do get people within the the European area traveling so we do get visitors coming down from Belgium and coming down from the Netherlands 
And of course, there's always some Aussie expats who are living in France who are happy to come along and, and get a little bit of a taste of Australia whilst they can't get home as well. And what about your journey to becoming director of the centre? Tell us a little about that. Yeah, so I work for the Department of Veterans Affairs in Australia and have done so for, for quite some time. And I've been afforded the opportunity to to learn on the go. So the last few years have been involved in assisting with the Anzac Day services over here. So it's it's been a nice offering that the department does is giving that exposure to the broader commemorations uh, sphere. So I've been able to, over the last few years, uh, have a role in managing the official memorials that do exist on the Australian Remembrance Trail and, and helping out with Anzac Day. So it's been a, a nice journey in moving over here. And where can people learn more about the centre? Uh, so John Monash Centre website is accessible at www.sjmc.gov.au and it's filled with lots of practical information for visiting the centre and there's also a comprehensive catalogue of small articles to read, sharing insights into battles, individual stories and details of commemoration. So for those that do head across to our website, you'll find to join our mailing list button, uh, which I encourage everybody to click on so you can receive our monthly e-newsletters. And we also like to engage with our audience on social media. So we do use Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And just a couple of months ago, we also launched a page on the Australian Department of Veterans Affairs YouTube channel featuring the recordings of some of our online conferences and lots of little sneak peeks into the centre as well. And certainly the Lee, the Remembrance Day uh, recording that you did recently is on there as well, which I had the pleasure to join live. But uh, um, Rebecca, look, thank you so much for your time today and uh, best of the season uh, to you as well. Thank you very much and thank you for sharing the story of the Sir John Monash Centre. It's been a pleasure. That's the podcast for today. We're keen to hear your feedback. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page and if you're listening to us via iTunes or other podcast apps, you can please leave a review. You can help support this podcast via Patreon or Buy Me A Coffee. The links are on our website and our Facebook page and your support helps us with the production of this podcast. Season's greeting to all our listeners and as always... Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.